0: Everybody, and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast where we talk to cool people doing cool things. I'm here today with Alex Steinman, and she is the co founder, one of the co founders of The Coven. And The Coven started out as a co working space. And I have to just say, while it is a co working space, I feel like it's really almost like a movement. It's a community. It is one of the more unique co-working spaces, I feel like, in the Twin Cities because it offers so much more. Welcome to the program, Alex.
1: Wow. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. What a great introduction.
0: Oh, I have explored the coven and was all set to join because you were in Minneapolis first, and then you opened in St. Paul in my neighborhood, and then COVID happened, (laughs) and it was like shut down, and then I moved So now I'm in the Western suburbs, and I don't have a coven near me, but you are opening another one over on Lake Street, it sounds like, right?
1: We are on East Lake, um, in partnership with the team at Dogwood Coffee Company. Um, They'll be opening up the coven in the building next to their coffee shop, Um, and it'll be all designated desks and private offices, so a little bit of a different concept, a little bit smaller, but we're really excited to be partnering with other entrepreneurs who love the community as much as we do and are just such incredible supporters. So excited to be there, but maybe there will be a Western suburbs coven soon. You never know.
0: I hope so. So can you tell me a little bit about your original vision and maybe that's changed or expanded upon since the whole coronavirus pandemic that is three oh, years wow. ago now?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny to say three years. It seems like the life has really blinked by. Um, so about Six years ago, um, the Coven co-founders, myself and three others, Erin, um, Bethany, and Liz, we all came together. We were working in the advertising industry, and we're working to help bring women, non-binary, trans folks, and people of color into leadership roles, not just into the industry, but really helping them grow. And what we found was while folks were really excited about the idea of you know, DEI practices, which were like you know, that buzzword was relatively new, uh, you know, that at that time, yep. um, there wasn't a ton of investment in the work, meaning like actual dollars to make that shift happen. And so we just decided that what would it be like if we created the world in which we know that we deserve to live, work and learn in? And what would it be like if we created that space? And so we really came up with the concept of the co-working community, which co-working was relatively new then. And pre-pandemic, if you remember, everybody was still going into the office, that they had an office job. And so we were really catering to entrepreneurs and freelancers, folks who we worked with, right, in the advertising industry, lots of freelancers, lots of creatives. Um, and it became a space for um, folks to really step into their economic, economic power. That's really been kind of at the core of our mission is helping people learn and grow. So we offer programming and events um, live and now virtual, um, just so much, um, kind of in the sense of how do you create a space that folks feel a sense of physical and psychological safety so that they can step into a risky, uh, you know, launch a business or grow into leadership. I think our membership has evolved a lot in the last, uh, you know, six years, five years that we've been around because of the, um, the way that the pandemic has shifted the way that we work, right? So we have a lot of people who are, um, actually half of our members have an employer. Um, And so, you know, we're now talking to folks who work at Target and Best Buy and small nonprofits and those types of things. So it's it's an exciting shift. We've actually seen a huge increase in team membership. So small to mid-sized companies that want to provide their employee employees with access to a kind of a third space for them to work in, or they're getting rid of their traditional leases and are now kind of looking for that flex environment so people don't have to be stuck in their homes that they don't want to be. Um, I think the you know the future is choice <laughs> um, for for the future of work, and so giving people options has been amazing. But like you said, in you know, COVID, like really rocked the co working world. I mean. If you look at the number of co-working spaces that there were pre-pandemic and then what came out came out of it three years later, I mean, there's a much smaller group of co-working spaces even available, Um, even though the demand remains really high. It just took a lot to keep these things in business when we were closed for a a handful of or operating at limited capacity for a couple of years. Um, But within, you know, 24 hours of closing our. Physical spaces in December, or I'm sorry, in uh, March of 2020, we turned around a digital community because we knew that people needed to stay connected and together. So we launched on-demand programming. We launched happy hours. We launched coffees in the morning. We launched, you know, how to work with the SBA to get your PPP loans, like all of those types of things to really support entrepreneurs and leaders when we were in deep isolation. We doubled our membership during the pandemic, which is an amazing um, yeah. for being a physical workspace.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> uh, So, but things have changed. It's been a wild, wild couple of years. And you, I want to be careful how I say this because as more, I want to say like the freelance community is a big community. There's 122,000 of us just in the Minnesota area, I think is the last number I heard. But as that shifts from freelance creative side to sort of more middle-of-the-road corporate America needing workspace environments. Mm -hmm. How does that change the mission of your empowerment and your diversity inclusion, inclusion initiatives, or doesn't it? I don't
1: think it does. I mean, ever since the beginning, we've all been about whether you have an employer or not, we want you to be able to ask for what you need, step into a leadership role, lead with uh, equity at the core, like all of those types of things are relevant to both leaders and, you know, mid-level managers and, and, you know, new to industry type folks, as well as entrepreneurs. And so we've always tried to find a little bit of a balance of how do you help folks either Step into a new career um, with an employer, or you know, launch something that's their own. Not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur or a freelancer. Yeah. Um. Especially in this market, people want stability. So, being able to cater to both has been um, has been helpful. And I think a lot of our programming speaks to both the entrepreneur and the aspiring leader.
0: I think this whole time frame of COVID and the murder of George Floyd and what we've learned coming out of it. What I personally took away from it or one of the things, you know, I I was really uncomfortable with white privilege for a long time Mm -hmm. because I didn't fully understand what it actually meant. I thought Mm -hmm. it meant like somehow someone was trying to minimize my achievements or my light because they didn't have the same opportunities that I felt like I really worked so hard to gain. And in retrospect, I realize now that is like nothing to do with it. And it's Mm -hmm. more about just seeing other people like yourself and the ability of, I can just walk into a room and as a middle-aged white woman, I have a certain amount of access and resources. Yeah. That has really, I think, struck me about your environment is if you can find other people that look like you or are doing the same kind of work or different work, but they're taking bolder steps or they're getting loans or they're you know managing their social media differently, That like, I would not be where I am today if I wouldn't have worked in environments where I had people that were like, hey, have you ever thought about this? Would you consider that? It's such an underestimated and undervalued resource, just the community, that Mm -hmm. it's what I think you guys have this amazing opportunity to bring to people.
1: Yeah, thank you for saying that. I think it's like I said, from the very beginning, I mean, even though we had a lot more freelance like freelance and creative type folks, it was really interesting to see, you know, VPs of banks and, you know, community organizers sitting next to each other and really like solving problems or even just checking in with one another. I think there's this element that, you know, we've created in our space where, you know, when you walk into our doors, like we care for you regardless of your background or, or what you're coming from when you step into the coven, we check in and make sure that you have what you need, that you can move through your day with ease. Um, And it just creates a sense of, I can't necessarily say safety, because that's in the, you know, eye of the beholder, right, like a safe space. Uh, But maybe even a brave community or brave space where it's okay to show up as your whole self, it feels good to step into, um, step into a space that might feel like Ooh, I don't know, like if I can start my own business or if I can meet this person who's sitting across from me. But we have so many stories of people who sit next to someone who they don't know, borrow a charger, and the next thing you know, they're like starting a business together. This is like real stories that actually yep. happen in our space. So, you know, the pandemic really threw us for a loop with like with that kind of moments of serendipity that we love, um, being unable to happen um without being like physically. Re- in community, but our digital community has also offered a lot of opportunity for like serendipity and things it just takes a little bit of different curation, I think. Yeah. Um, and we always keep that in mind in terms of like, you know, checking privilege and, you know, calling people into conversation because there's always going to be oops and ouches and things that happen throughout the space. Um, you know, being a black woman from advertising, I, I feel like I'm constantly met with like microaggressions in any, <laughs> in any space. Um, but I think what's unique about, our community is. We really work hard to, you know, give people the power to to have agency and say, hey, that that doesn't work for me, you know, or for someone to say, hey, I don't understand. Can you help me understand? Or come to our staff and our um, our community member, our community leaders, and say, hey, like, you know, how do I, how can I do better? Or, you know, hey, this happened. Can we address it? And I think there's just there's a lot of um, trust built there in our community.
0: Yeah, because it is. You know, I'll be just vulnerable here and say, you know, I I've had a lot of conversation with my friends of color and they're like, you know, it's not our job to like mm-hmm. continually educate you, Stephanie, and the white group about, you know, how to be a good community ally. But at the same time, I think there is this interest from people that they do want to do better. They do want to be a better partner, offer more opportunities um, maybe expand their circles. And there's mm-hmm. just really like without, you're you're worried about offending someone. You're worried about like saying the wrong thing. So I do think that community space, if it's free on both sides and like you can really have honest dialogue, that's how change happens. That's how mm-hmm. you move past being embarrassed to say the wrong thing. Say the wrong thing. Someone look at you and go, hey, do you realize that's the wrong thing? And here's why. And then you learn and you can share that with other people in your groups and your communities too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it helps too, to have, you know, we have a lot of white folks who are members who check each other, you know? And so like, and I think that's relying on, on your own communities to say like, Hey, like we're going to try to do better together in this sense so that we're not constantly relying on black and Brown folks to do that kind of emotional labor. Um, So it's an exciting, I think, interesting time to be in, Community, I think the last handful of years has really, help, like shown people like step up and and be better allies, um, but also give space to Black and Brown people who are tired and who yeah. want you know a little bit of a little bit of distance, a little bit of space. And I think our community um, provides both, um, both in our digital and our physical spaces.
0: Yeah, I had a interesting conversation about this sort of idea with my ninety one year old mother in law about gender. <laughs> And she's trying to figure out, you know, how do I deal with all these pronouns and I don't want to offend someone and what's the right thing. And in our day, we didn't have all this. So we had a really good, I think, conversation about, you know, how things change. But again, it it all comes back to, are you coming at it from a place of authenticity? And do you support that community that you're in? Mm-hmm. I just, I, I think work really gives you a lot of mores about life and social yeah. culture. And things that like my 24 year old daughter, who's never been in a work environment because of COVID, she has like her ideas about stuff, but I can't wait for her to actually get into an office and like have to work next to people. And, yeah, you know, I think there's so much of that that's been underestimated the value of that.
1: I think there's something really unique about a space that allows you to be seen and heard and valued. And that really comes from, you know, the, for when you walk in, you know, like the first person yep. that you meet when you walk in, who is like our community engagement managers. And I think setting the tone for what this community is all about and, you know, how to feel seen yourself and help other people feel seen. I think that kind of mutual understanding is like required in our community, but certainly is being kind of challenged in corporate environments or in offices yeah. as people start to navigate like what is it like to create community in my corporate office? <laughs> um so I'm really excited to see like this future of work that we're in right now as as people are searching for community in new ways, um, finding their way back to one another. Um I'll be interested to see how corporations and, and organizations continue to kind of push the envelope in in this way of like, how do we make sure that people feel seen so that they they can show up as their whole selves so that they, you know, don't feel like they have to hide a piece of themselves, so, you know, so that they do feel honored and recognized for, you know, their own lived experiences.
0: As you move forward in your own expansion, what do you find that you guys need now? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. But, you know, franchising and community ownership is, is
1: really all about finding people who are connected to their communities. So we love the Twin Cities. We love Minneapolis and St. Paul and and Minnesota as a whole. You know, we were one of like the leading co-working spaces in the middle of COVID, (laughs) helping people navigate, you know, where do we find PPE and like all of those types of things. So we love this community so much. And what we wanna do is find other people who love their communities just as much and allow them to have some power to create their community space. It'll be a coven, it'll look and feel like a coven but it'll also look and feel like that community that they're in. It'll have artists featured there from, from people in that area. Their membership, their members will like fuel really what that space looks and feels like. So, you know, when when we're looking for, for those types of folks who want to lead their own communities, that's really what we need right now, our, our community owners. And, you know, when Dan and Angie Anderson from Dogwood Coffee Company reached out and said, hey, we've got this building. Are you interested in opening a coven here? I mean, our natural response was like, that makes total sense, and you all should run it because you know that community so well, based on you know where you've operated your business. And so, we've we're kind of in that on that hunt for you know who's the next community owner, and we're focused on underdog markets, really similar to the Twin Cities, so middle and southern parts of the country. Um, we know that there's a lot of pent up demand for inclusive environments for people to work and learn in, and we know the cost of doing business is much more affordable in the Midwest than it is on the coast. And so we're really trying to like navigate a little bit of, you know, where, where do these communities make sense from like a, you know, financial perspective, obviously, but then also like, who are the right people in those areas? Um, You know, we're not trying to open Taco Bells here we're we're really trying to open like community centered spaces, which require a really special kind of person to run it.
0: So as you expand in a franchise model, it sounds like is, other states on the docket and absolutely.
1: Yeah. So yeah. we're looking in places like um North Carolina, South Carolina. We love um Michigan, um, Illinois, you know, right. places that are really akin, Nashville in Tennessee, you know, places that are really akin to to the Twin
0: Cities. Yeah, uh, that's exciting because I don't know, my brother lives in South Carolina and I hear a lot of all the horrible things coming out of South Carolina and mm-hmm. Tennessee and Georgia and some of these places that they're really struggling with trying to, you know, not slide backwards in a equality fashion. And so it's exciting to think about some of the more positive things that can happen in some of those environments.
1: Yeah, well, it's fascinating that all, you know, those types of like discriminatory bills are being passed in these states where there's like an influx of people from, you know, more I would say more liberal areas and or progressive, you know, coastal yeah. cities, more progressive cities. <laughs> like they're all coming into those states. <laughs> it's bizarre, you know, I think, uh, you know, the scales will tip the other direction, I, I think at some point, but it is really fascinating. Um, and, you know, it's disheartening to to see that yeah. type of like aggression coming out of um, state bills.
0: Also too, just, it kind of underscores for me how disconnected at times the po- body politic is from the politics and the legislators. Absolutely. It doesn't feel like, you know, we're moving in lockstep and representative of what the people want in a lot of Mm -hmm. instances. But I guess that's why I'm not a politician, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Alex, I'm really excited to talk to you. I've been a fan of your model. I think, you know, you guys got a hard lesson early on with the COVID environment. And I just was, I was in awe of how fast you pivoted and how inclusive you were still for your community. And You guys are amazing. So congratulations on the new launch, uh, East Lake Street. And I'll be, when you get to the Western suburbs, just knock on my my proverbial social media door and be like, hey, girl, we're here now. Will do. Can't wait. Okay. (laughs) Thanks so much.